0: Welcome to the audiobook Deadly Intruder. Deadly Intruder is written and read by Ann Kelsey. This story contains adult situations and mature language and is intended for mature audiences. Deadly Intruder is available in print and ebook from Graygate Media and is available for purchase from amazon.com. For links to purchase the book, visit deadlyintruder.com or daretowrite.com. Hello and welcome listeners to the Deadly Intruder podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to download this podcast. I know there's plenty of entertainment available to compete for your free time, so I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my book. Deadly Intruder is the first in a series of three. Book two, Die or Die Trying, will be published in the fall of 2014. What follows is about 40 minutes of reading, or the first 10% of the book. My hope is that you'll get hooked and click over to Amazon to purchase the book for the Kindle Reader or paperback. After you listen to the podcast, I invite you to send an email or tweet me to let me know what you think. At this time, there are no plans to podcast the entire book, but if response to this podcast is good, there's certainly the possibility of podcasting the rest of the story. So, without further ado, here's Anne Kelsey's Deadly Intruder. Prologue, April 11th, Monday. Hands clasped in front of him, on his knees in his den, Brent looked up into his tormentor's eyes. Kill me, I beg you, his voice cracked. Unable to stop the tremors that shook his body, he pleaded with his captor. If you kill me, you'll still win the game. Instead of replying, the man reached down and grabbed Brent by the back of the neck in a vice-like grip, lifting him up onto his feet. The pain was excruciating, and it shot straight through Bren's temples. The edges of his vision began to darken, but he fought through the pain. He had to stay conscious. He had to get to Amanda. Losers don't call the shots. Haven't you figured that out by now? Without warning, his assailant shoved him down onto the straight-back chair and slammed his head down onto the oak desktop. Look! Look again! The man tapped the corner of the monitor with the barrel of his gun. The computer screen was so close to Brent's eyes that everything on the screen was a mass of meaningless dots. How does the game end? The answer's right there, he tapped again, right in front of your face. Brent blinked repeatedly, forcing his eyes to focus until he was able to distinguish the ghostly infrared image on the screen. Amanda, he whispered. Brent held his breath and looked for signs that his wife was still alive. Come on, college boy, figure it out, his captor said. The man released the hold on his neck and Brent cautiously straightened. "'What is that?' Brent asked, his voice hoarse with dread. A thin line snaked from Amanda's hand up and out of camera range. "'It's an IV.' "'What? Why?' He turned toward his captor and stared into the man's cold blue eyes. He knew without question that he was about to hear Amanda's death sentence. "'It's a brilliant idea, and how fitting to end the game with such an ironic twist.' "'What do you mean?' Brent was having trouble following this madman's logic. He spoke sheer lunacy. I figured out how to win the game without you or your wife. He let out a burst of maniacal laughter. Comprehension suddenly dawned within Brent. He retched his hot bile rose, burning the back of his throat. No, you can't mean... His limbs began to tremble. He was in the presence of pure, unadulterated evil. God help them all. Chapter 1, December 3rd, Thursday. Brent looked around the plush surroundings of the Italian restaurant and made a mental note to bring his wife here sometime. The quiet ambiance, the chic decor, the linen tablecloths, she'd love it. This place was a far cry from his usual lunch of pork lo at the walk-and-roll with Todd. Nevertheless, Brent was savoring every bite of his lobster ravioli. Was that a hint of nutmeg? So what do you think, Clive asked. Brent pulled his thoughts back to the conversation and laid down his fork. "'Tell me the name of the game again?' He looked across the table at Clive, the newest hire at his firm, Revolution Advertising and Creative Company. "'It's called a Deadpool,' Clive said. "'And you get points for guessing when someone is going to die?' "'Right!' Clive twirled the last of his linguine around the tines of his fork. "'That's just sick!' Brent shook his head and picked up his knife and fork, cutting his next ravioli neatly in half. "'How long have you been playing?' "'Come to think of it,' Clive laughed, "'a long time. Have you ever won?' Brent studied the man across the table. Mid-forties, he'd guess. Big guy. Overweight. With the ruddy complexion of a dedicated drinker. Now, Brent bent his head and shoveled in an enormous mouthful of pasta. I finished in the top ten once, but out of the cash. Clive talked throughout the entire lunch with his mouthful. How the hell had a guy like this had a successful career in sales? Then why do you keep playing? Brent noticed a barely discernible bald spot Clive had attempted to conceal with a comb-over he amended his guess about Clive's age to early fifties. Maybe this'll be my lucky year. Clive tore off a chunk of bread and mopped up the remains of his marinara. This particular Deadpool has a huge payout. You mentioned that, up to a half a million dollars. Brent chuckled and pushed his plate aside, leaving several ravioli untouched. I think you're full of it. Hey, look, pal, we're both salesmen. I'm quite certain you can shovel a ship with the best of them, and so can I, but I'm not bullshitting you on this one. Clive pushed his ample frame away from the table and looked around, snapping his fingers for the waiter. You've got some marinara on your tie, Brent said. Clive looked down. So I do. Sir, how may I assist you? The waiter materialized out of thin air, a crisp white towel folded over his left forearm. Here. A platinum credit card bounced across the white tablecloth, landing near the edge, upside down. I'll make sure to apply the same lack of attention to your tip that you showed my very important client. Brent looked away, embarrassed. Was this guy for real? He folded his napkin and tucked it under the edge of the plate. Clive waved his hand, shooing away the tuxedo-clad waiter. Entry into the game is by invitation only, but I'll finagle you a spot. He dipped his napkin in his water glass and started dabbing at the spot on his tie. The game's a hoot. A bit twisted, but no harm's done. Thanks for lunch, Brent said, as they walked through the parking lot to their cars. The sun held no warmth and a bitter wind sent Brent's unbuttoned trench coat flapping around his legs. I should have taken you out. You're the new hire. Forget about it. Brent waved the comment away. Besides, I refuse to be taken out to lunch by a colleague half my age. What are you, twenty-one, twenty-two? Twenty-four. I take it you're anticipating a record second month on the job since you treated me to lunch at a four-star restaurant. Please, Clive rolled his eyes. I'm writing that meal off on my Revolution expense report first thing tomorrow morning. In case anyone asks, you were the president of First Fidelity Bank. You're kidding, right? Come on, you're going to stand here and tell me you're not playing games with your expense account? Instead of answering, Brent asked another question. So how was your first commission check? I did all right, although according to the other salesmen at Revolution, not as well as you. In order to beat your sales numbers, I guess I've got my work cut out for me. Planning on giving me a little competition? You bet your ass. Brent smiled. Get used to seeing the name Brent Darby on the top of the leaderboard. It's been there for a while, and I don't intend for that to change. We'll see. Brent put his hands in his pants pocket and rocked back on his heels, peering up into the sky. Looks like we're in for a storm. Brent followed his gaze to a bank of black clouds darkening the western sky. It never snows this early in Boston. The Farmer's Almanac claims we're going to have a snowy winter. I hope not. Brent patted the top of his red Dodge Viper. I'm not ready to put this baby up on blocks. It's a beauty. Clive placed a hand on the roof of the sports car, tracing the edge of the black racing stripe that ran bumper to bumper. Thanks. My wife has asked me to take the car off the road when the first snowflake flies. That's a damn shame. I wouldn't if it were mine. Man, this guy was arrogant. See you back at the office. Brent pulled a pair of black leather driving gloves from his pocket and slid behind the wheel. Why? The better part of the day's over. It's two o'clock. Yeah, well, I'm headed home anyway. Then I guess I'll see you tomorrow. In the rearview mirror, Brent watched Clive give the Viper a last lingering look before he turned into the wind and opened the door of an ugly, mud-brown Ford four-door sedan. You might want to rethink not locking your car, he called over. Clive turned and gave him a quizzical look. Why is that? Let's just say pranks are a way of life if you work at Revolution. You don't want someone to put a duck in the back seat of your car. From what I heard, neither the duck nor the car survived. Brent couldn't help smirking at Clive's expression. He turned the key in the ignition and listened with satisfaction to the purr of the high-powered engine. This guy wouldn't last six months. He flipped down the visor and finger-combed his hair. It could use a trim. When he got back to the office, he'd make an appointment. Slapping the stick shift into first, he couldn't resist blowing by Clive and peeling out of the parking lot. An occasional snowflake drifted down as Brent crept through downtown Boston traffic. The stereo was cranked, and he hammered out an accompanying drumbeat on the steering wheel. By the time he reached the office, the snow had really started coming down. Unable to pretend to ignore it any longer, he was forced to flip on the windshield wipers. The thought of taking the car off the road was heartbreaking, but he'd promised Amanda. He sighed. It looked like winter had arrived early, and with a vengeance. Brent stoked the fire before returning the poker to the stand and plopping back down on the couch beside Amanda. Isn't the snow beautiful? She motioned out the window where the flakes were coming down in a torrent illuminated by the back porch light. It's a bit early for me. I know, but it's the first snowfall since we moved into our new house. She picked up the half-empty bottle of wine and poured them each another glass before leaning back. This is what country living is all about. Snow that stays white instead of turning black. It's only December 3rd. "'That's too early for snow, even in New England. "'I think it's romantic.' "'You're right,' Brent dropped his hand from the back of the couch "'down onto Amanda's shoulders, drawing her close. "'We don't have anywhere to go, and this is nice, "'sitting here in front of the fire.' "'He idly ran his hands through her hair, "'noticing how the firelight glinted off the honey strands. "'Thanks for making me dinner, hun. "'My pleasure. "'I know how much you love frozen chicken fingers and french fries,' "'she chuckled. "'Good thing I had a big lunch.' Amanda elbowed him in the ribs. You knew when you married me that I didn't cook. Right, I keep forgetting. He propped his feet up on the coffee table. Actually, I had a fantastic lunch. I went to Restaurante Lucia in the North End. Really? Didn't the Globe just do a write-up on that restaurant? I'm jealous. Did you take out a client? No, that place is too expensive even on an expense account. But it was bravissimo. He made a show of kissing his fingers. "'That's one of the few things I miss about living in Boston, "'the ability to walk to so many great restaurants. "'People born and bred in Garnet, New Hampshire "'think Max Place on Route 28 is fine dining. Ugh. "'So how did you end up going there for lunch?' "'She leaned forward and took a sip of wine. "'Revolution hired a new salesman, "'and he took me there for lunch. "'He's going to be sharing my territory.' "'Are you okay with that?' Amanda looked up at him. "'He was hired strictly to drum up new business, "'which is great for me. "'I hate cold calling.' Now I can concentrate on doing what I do best, growing my established accounts. So what do you think of him? He seems like an okay guy, although a bit on the arrogant side. I'm sure he took me out to lunch to pick my brain. Toward the end of the meal, the conversation took the oddest turn. How so? Have you ever heard of a Deadpool? A what? A Deadpool. It's sort of like a football pool. Except, instead of betting which team will win, you bet on a list of people you think will die within the next 12 months. Amanda sat up and twisted toward him, her face aghast. "'I hope you're kidding.' "'That was my reaction, too,' Brent said. He stood up and walked over to the fireplace. "'Cly's been betting on Deadpools for a long time,' he said, over his shoulder, poking at the fire. "'Since college, anyway, and I'm guessing he's in his mid-to-late 50s "'I'm sorry, but that's appalling. How can a game like that even be legal? Are these games played out of Vegas?' "'The one he plays is on the internet. If it's true, it's pretty creepy.' He pulled the mesh fire screen closed. It's possible he was just pulling my leg. Did you say this guy's name was Clive? "Uh Uh-huh. Clive Ellis. Why? Brent walked back to the couch. It's just such an unusual name. I overheard a woman in my kickboxing class mention that her boyfriend's name was Clive. I wonder if it's the same guy. Brent shrugged. Amanda picked up her plate and wine glass and stood up. I hope I don't get nightmares about Deadpools tonight. In fact, to take my mind off it, I think I'll work a little more on my drawing before I turn in. My customer wants the portrait of her schnauzer done before the little darling's birthday next week. She rolled her eyes. Brent picked up his own dishes and joined her in the kitchen. I've got a better idea. Why don't I throw another log on the fire and we get naked? He pinned her against the counter and wrapped his arms around her, trailing kisses down the side of her neck. Hmm. Amanda leaned back against him. Maybe we don't need another log. Brent swung her up into his arms and strode back into the family room. Better luck next time, pooch, he said, stepping around the leg of the easel. He and Amanda collapsed in a heap on the couch and began pulling off each other's clothes. December 24th, Thursday. It was just after 11 p.m. when Brent waved goodbye to his in-laws and closed the front door. With an audible sigh relieved, he leaned against it. He could think of several ways to start his Christmas vacation, and none of them had anything to do with his in-laws. His mood on the upswing, he headed down the hall. In the kitchen, Amanda stood with her back to him at the sink. Ah, alone at last with my ravishing wife. Brent crossed the room, grabbing her from behind in a bear hug, and nibbled on her earlobe. Care to leave this mess and join me for some fun and games in the bedroom? Amanda picked up a dish towel from the counter and slapped it playfully onto his shoulder. Not until after the dishes are done, I'll wash you dry. "'Spoil sport.' Brent laughed and reached around her for a crystal wine glass on the drain board. She turned off the faucet and looked at him with a serious expression. "'Why were you late getting home tonight?' Oh, "'I'm sorry, hun. I just got buried in stuff.' "'What stuff?' "'You knew what time my parents were coming for dinner tonight. Plus, I was worried to death about you driving that stupid race car in the snow.' "'You worry too much. Besides, it was only a dusting. "'So why were you late?' "'I got caught on my way out the door. "'On Christmas Eve?' Amanda gave him a look of pure skepticism. Honest. In fact, I was in such a rush I forgot my laptop. Brent felt a twinge of conscience at the white lie. He had forgotten his laptop, but revolution had been all but deserted since early afternoon. Or maybe you weren't all that excited about having dinner tonight with my folks. Amanda lifted the corner of the towel off Brent's shoulder and dried her hands. Well, maybe there's a tiny grain of truth to that, but Todd did stop by. I'll admit that we started talking, and I sort of lost track of time. I knew it. Tears welled up in her eyes. I don't see why it's such a struggle for you to get along with my folks. I don't, but especially since... Since what? She hesitated a moment. Since both your parents are gone, I wish you'd let my parents help fill that void. He tried to change the subject, and I didn't appreciate you making me look bad in front of your dad tonight. Did you really have to drag out a bunch of travel brochures? Amanda put the last plate in the dishwasher and started loading glasses into the top rack. "'Can't you try to be a little more tolerant? "'After all, we see them so infrequently. "'We see them every few weeks. "'I'd hardly call that infrequent. "'It's Christmas Eve. "'It's part and parcel of being an only child. "'I just wish you'd be more considerate.' "'Considerate?' Brent's temper flared again. "'Your dad was grilling me about our finances "'in the middle of dinner "'while we were eating the filet mignon "'that I paid for.' and I politely ask him to drop the subject I know how to handle my dad. He's just worried, not that you came to my defense or anything. He set the last crystal wine glass on the counter with a bang. Amanda flinched. But Brent, but what? Your father all but asked me how much money was in our checking account. Jesus! He did not. Brent spread his arms out to encompass the spacious kitchen. Doesn't this prove how well I'm taking care of his precious daughter? Of course, but a custom-designed, custom-built house? "'Dad's afraid we may have gotten in over our heads, that's all,' she crossed her arms. "'We're so young to have such a big mortgage, along with all the other monthly bills. "'The money I bring in from selling my artwork barely covers my paint and supplies.' "'I can make the payments,' Brent said with an edge to his voice. "'He reached for the serving platter Amanda was rinsing. "'Now we have the Viper payment, too. "'I knew you were going to throw that in my face again!' "'Brent put down the wet platter and threw the wet dishcloth into the sink.' And I was so wrong to buy something for myself after winning Rookie of the Year? You didn't complain about the diamond necklace I bought you at the same time. Oh, Brent, Amanda reached for his hands. The necklace was beautiful, and I know you loved the car. It's just that... Oh, so you think winning was a fluke? He spun on his heel and slammed the dishwasher closed, rattling the glasses inside. It wasn't. You don't need to prove anything to me, Brent. I love you. My career isn't impressive enough for either of you two to discuss over cocktails at the club. Now you're just being ridiculous. This whole fight started because I was late, and I apologize for that. But no matter what I do, it never seems to be enough. Brent saw a genuine hurt cloud Amanda's eyes, but he turned away from her. You're the one who keeps trying to one-up my father. Well, I've got a hell of a long way to go to catch up to the bank president with a private plane and a fleet of cars. Amanda sighed. He's just a little concerned about our financial situation, that's all. Not to mention the lake house. Brent, stop it! We are fine, trust me. I'm trying, but we still have your school loans to pay off, and thanks for reminding me that I'm the one who came into this marriage with all the debt. Brent leaned back against the counter and crossed his arms. There's no need to get sarcastic. You always forget the upside to working on commission. I have the opportunity to make a whole lot more money than I did when I was on straight salary. But there are risks involved, too. She began wiping down the counters. If you fall short of your quota, you have to sell more the next pay period to make up for that. And if I sell over my quota, my commission is added to the base. Since Revolution doesn't have a cap on commissions, I can double my gross income." She turned to face him, sponge in hand. "But you fell short in November." "Oh, come on, Amanda, are you going to micromanage every penny I bring in each month? Maybe I should get a real job." "There is no need for you to do that. You love painting, and I promised you on our wedding day I would take care of you." "I don't want to be taken care of, Brent. I am not a pet," she fumed slapping a hand on the countertop. And please don't talk about my artwork like it's a hobby. It's not a hobby, it's my career. That's not what I meant. He saw the tense set of her shoulders. Come on. He began to massage her neck, and moments later she began to relax beneath his fingers. I don't want to fight, especially on Christmas Eve. Amanda turned in his arms and leaned her head on his chest. I brought out the brochures because I want to plan a weekend away for the two of us. With the hours you put in at Revolution, we hardly see each other. He held her, his fingers stroking her back. Go away for a weekend? I thought we agreed that we'd put any extra money toward paying off my loans. Amanda let out a cry of exasperation and pushed out of his arms. Well, did you consider how much extra money you put into the race car before you bought that? Brent threw his hands up in the air. I love that car. How many times are you going to throw the Viper in my face? Until you get it, Amanda cried. Brent felt his anger rise. "'What do I need to get?' "'You never should have bought that car,' she shook her head. "'Not that car. "'I can understand that you needed to buy a new car once you became a salesman. "'But why not a Honda or a Buick?' "'You know I wouldn't be caught dead driving a Buick. "'You could have gotten a new car, and we would have been able to plan a trip,' Brent snorted. "'A Buick? Come on. "'Forget about the Buick. I just meant that maybe a family car. "'Are you kidding? A family car?' My career just kicked into high gear. The word family is not on my radar screen. I'm not talking about starting a family tomorrow, but I've apologized over and over again for not discussing the Viper purchase with you before I bought it. I'm sorry you didn't like the necklace. I'm sorry I didn't buy tickets to Cancun instead. No matter what I do, I'm always wrong. I'm always in the penalty box. He spun on his heel and walked to the doorway. And I've told you over and over the necklace wasn't necessary. It hardly makes up for the car. We need to talk about these things. Tears glinted in Amanda's eyes, but Brent was too angry to stop the flow of words. I can't be your dad. I can't seem to be whoever it is you want me to be. He turned away from her, his gut churning. I need to go cool off. Brent slid behind the wheel of the Viper and took off down the quiet street. He might as well head back to Revolution and pick up his laptop. He wound through the dark neighborhoods, occasionally catching a glimpse of a decorated tree in a front window. His thoughts floated back to the last Christmas with his parents. He'd been halfway through his junior year at Brown, and he had never been happier. He loved being back home for the holiday break, able to compare notes with his two best friends from high school. The three of them had it all, They tried to one-up each other, each bragging that their school had the prettiest girls, the toughest professors, and that they lived in the crappiest off-campus apartments, and joking about who was going to have the highest starting salary after graduation. As Brent drove up the entrance ramp for 93 South, he couldn't keep his thoughts from moving on to the following April, just four months later, when both his parents were killed in a car accident. But this time, during his return home, he was listening to his older brother Jimmy, You mean to tell me that you were totally unaware of Mom and Dad's financial situation? I find that a little hard to believe. Every penny they had went to pay for that ivory tower school you got into. Those words still reverberated in Brent's head. Even after all this time, he couldn't shut them out. The honest truth was, after he'd been accepted to Brown, his dad had never said a word to him about how his education was going to be paid for, and he'd never ask. Instead, he remembered the pride in his father's voice when he'd call him at school, sometimes in the middle of the day, to ask about classes or if he was leaning toward a specific major. Do you need anything, son? Anything at all? His dad never hung up the phone without telling Brent how proud he was of him. Entering the parking garage, Brent drove up and around the multiple levels before pulling into his assigned parking spot. The entire level was empty save one car parked a few spaces away from his in the CEO's spot. He recognized the car, and it was definitely not the CEO's. Stepping out of the car, Brent walked toward the entrance of the building, his mind still in the past, in that late-night phone call midway through finals week at the end of his junior year when his life had come to a sudden halt. Jimmy had stuck a clothes for Family emergency sign on his mechanic shop for a week. Brent had made phone calls to his professors, arranging to return after the funeral to make up his two remaining finals. Then the obligatory meetings had begun. They'd spent hours listening to lawyers and the bankers and the loan officers, suit after suit, stared at their computer screens and explained about second mortgages and equity loans and how a year ago his parents had cashed in their retirement account. His brother glared at him. See, Jimmy's gaze seemed to say, for you, so you could go to Brown. ID badge in hand, Brent shook off the thoughts of the past. The door latch clicked and he yanked it open, entering the office building and stepping into the open elevator. Moments later, the elevator opened onto the 26th floor, the main sales floor of Revolution. He passed the empty reception desk, somewhat surprised the overhead lights illuminating Cube City were on at midnight on Christmas Eve. He wound his way through the myriad of cubicles where his desk had been last year and toward his office. He unlocked the door, taking in the panoramic view of the Boston Lights out the window before he flicked on the light. It still gave him a rush of pride that he had earned the top spot among all his first-year colleagues, and this office was one of the benefits. So was his equally coveted assigned parking space. He reached over and grabbed the handle of his soft-sided laptop case. It was sitting on the file cabinet just inside the door where he'd rushed out without it earlier. He turned off the light and pulled the door shut. "'Hey, Brent!' The voice startled him, and he whipped around. "'Clive, you scared the shit out of me. "'I heard a noise, and I thought I'd come and investigate. "'What are you doing here this late?' Forgot my laptop. I... At that moment, Brent's cell phone rang. He pulled the phone from his pocket. Hey, Todd, aren't you in the middle of a wedding? Yeah, and I only have a second. Todd spoke quickly. We're at the Sheraton, off exit 2. I want you to get your ass down here. You want me to come down now? Brent glanced up at the clock on the sales floor. Why? Clive hadn't moved. He stood listening to the conversation. I'm not telling you over the phone. Just get down here. Brent started walking toward the elevator. No way. I've got to get home to Amanda. We had a... He bit off the word, then cursed himself when Clive's eyebrows shot up. Did you have a fight with Amanda? Todd asked. Look, it's just not a good night, okay? Brent responded. It's Christmas Eve. It's late. Clive reached out and pushed the call button for the elevator. Where are you? Todd asked. I just stopped to pick up my laptop at Revolution. Clive is here, too. Who? It doesn't matter. You did have a fight, didn't you? You went to work to hide, you big coward. Look, call Amanda and have her meet us down there. She is not going to... I'll call her. I can get her to come down. Brent heard muffled voices through the phone and someone strumming an electric guitar in the background. Chris, I heard you already, Todd shouted. Give me one sec. Brent, we've got to get back on stage. I'll convince Amanda to meet me down here. I promise. I've got big news. Bring whoever else is there, too. The more, the merrier. Amanda is not sure she will. She'll come down if I ask her. The call disconnected. If anyone could convince Amanda to do anything, it was Todd. Maybe his buddy could help him salvage the mess he'd made of Christmas Eve. Wherever you're going, would you mind if I tagged along? Clive asked. Brent shrugged as he opened the door to the parking garage. Suit yourself. I'm just going to meet Todd for one drink. I'll buy the first round. What is it with you offering to pick up the tab all the time? Clive waved the comment away and Brent watched him open the door to his car, parked in the CEO's space. By the time Brent reached the hotel, it was starting to snow again. He thought about leaving his laptop in the car, but he decided against it. There was virtually no storage in the Viper, and he wasn't going to risk someone busting out a window and stealing it. Clive pulled into the parking lot a moment later. Laptop in hand, Brent stood in the lobby of the hotel for a moment before he caught sight of a small neon Coors sign. He pulled open the large medieval-looking oak door, and Clive followed him into the dimly lit space. A half a dozen men and one woman sat around a U-shaped bar, Brent walked to the only unoccupied side and set his laptop on the bar. Before he had even taken off his coat, Clive signaled with one hand for the bartender. "Get me a butt on tap," Clive called out, sliding onto the bar stool. And a couple of shots of Jack. The bartender put a cocktail napkin down in front of each of them and looked at Brent. "I'll have a Corona." And start a tab for us, please. Why, Brent asked, reaching for his wallet. "I told you, I'm only staying for one beer." Clive put a hand out to stop him from paying. Right, and I offered to buy the first round. Sorry to disappoint you, but this is the only round I'm having tonight. Whatever you say, he shot Brent a grin. I wonder if Amanda's here yet. Brent shoved his wallet back in his pocket and glanced over his shoulder toward the door. What kind of a man got into an argument with his wife on Christmas Eve? He felt like a jerk. The bartender set both beers down and reached overhead for a glass, but Brent waved him off and picked up the bottle, taking a long swallow. The bartender took a few steps over to a woman and began refilling her empty beer glass. "'Hey, buddy,' Clive said, snapping his fingers at the bartender's back. "'Where are those shots at Jack?' Clive stood up on the rungs of his bar stool and called over to the bartender. "'And my friend here needs another beer before his wife arrives.' The bartender looked at Brent, raising both eyebrows. Brent shook his head firmly. "'No, I'm good.' Clive held up his palms to Brent in apology. "'Look, I'm sorry. You asked me why I was at work tonight? Where else would I go?' I'm a three-time loser at the happily-ever-after thing, and with three ex-wives, you can understand why I'm a little bitter, especially around the holidays. The bartender approached with the two shots. Clive tapped the bar in front of him. Looks like I'm going to have to drink alone tonight. Put them both down here. Can I borrow a pen? Brent considered getting up and walking into the ballroom. At least he could enjoy his beer and listen to the band. The last thing he wanted to do was sit here and listen to this blowhard. Would you mind helping me out with something? What's that? Brent replied, not really interested. He took another sip of beer. Except for seeing Clive at a couple of department meetings and lunch that day, he hadn't had much contact with him. Still, the guy must be a hell of a salesman in order to have gotten in the door at Revolution. Time would tell if he'd have to worry about Brent causing him any serious competition. I'm looking for a couple of names to add to my Deadpool list. Brent looked toward the door again, hoping to see Amanda. Any names come to mind? Clive's voice cut into Brent's thoughts. What's that again? Brent asked, deciding he might as well finish his beer. Soon as Amanda got here, he'd get a room and make it up to her. Clive leaned toward him and slid a cocktail napkin he'd been scribbling on between them. I'm looking for some suggestions for my Deadpool list. You've got to be a sick bastard to play that game. Brent picked up his beer and drained a third of the glass before letting out a belch. Lighten up. Plus, I have a feeling this will be my lucky year. Clive shoved one of the shot glasses over to Brent. Come on, let's drink to one of us bringing in a half a million dollars this year. Brent made no move to pick up the shot glass. You earn what, 15% of that figure at Revolution this year? Instead of answering, Brent did a quick mental calculation and came up with 75,000. He'd better bring in a hell of a lot more money than that. Clive continued, After all, you're the big Rookie of the Year winner. Brent wasn't going to deny it. True, I had a good year. So I heard but no matter how good you are, or were, you're not going to see a check for $500,000 any time soon. Clive paused and drained his glass. And neither am I, even if I am a better salesman than you. Which you're not. So I hedge my bets and I try to bring in money a few other ways as well. If I win, I'll take the money and run. If someone questions my taste level or calls me a sick bastard, I don't give a damn. Brent quickly ran through the numbers again in his mind, remembering that Clive told him it cost five grand to join, and the winner couldn't net a half a million dollars. No way, no online game is going to offer odds like that. He shook his head. Clive picked up a shot glass and knocked it against the one closest to Brent. This one's for real bullshit, Brent thought, Come on, one drink to getting rich. Clive raised his glass by whatever means possible. Oh, what the hell? I'll drink to getting rich. Brent downed the shot. After all, he was going to spend the night at the hotel with Amanda, so he didn't have to worry about driving. He glanced at the door. a boy, Clive slapped him on the back. Who's on your list so far? Brent asked as he signaled the bartender for another beer. This whole Deadpool game could be a great conversation starter at the monthly business-to-business meetings he attended. Then he remembered cold calling was Clive's job now. Open your laptop. I'll pull up my roster. There you are, Todd called out, sliding onto the empty bar stool to Brent's left. You are not going to believe what happened tonight. With his drumsticks, he beat out a riff on the top of the bar. What? Brent asked, taking a swig of his fresh beer. This friggin' wedding, right? I hate weddings. We all hate weddings. But Chris upcharged the hell out of the gig because it was Christmas Eve. Father of the Bride went for it, so we're stuck playing at the Sheraton, right? And, Brent prompted. After our first set, this guy walks up to Jordan and asks him if we'd be interested in recording a demo for him we just finished Glamour Girl, and he must have liked the sound of it. Check it out. Todd laid his sticks on the bar and pulled a business card out of his back pocket. Capital Freakin' recording studio, Los Angeles, California. He let out a whoop. Brent took the card and read the front. Larry Conrad, executive producer. Can you believe that, Todd grinned? A demo. The guy wants Chris to call him in January and set it up. This may be our big break. Congratulations, Brent said, picking up his beer and saluting Todd. It couldn't have happened to a better, more talented guy. The bartender walked over. Sounds like you guys have something to celebrate. Line up, Clive said. First round is on me. Jack, the bartender asked, holding the bottle of Jack Daniels aloft. Yes, sir, Clive responded, holding his hand out toward Brent to take a look at the business card. No argument here, but who the hell are you, Todd asked, leaning over Brent to see who was sitting next to him. Sorry, Brent said, this is Clive Ellis. He's the guy that was burning the midnight oil at Revolution tonight when I stopped in to pick up my laptop. Clive just started a couple months ago. I thought maybe you guys had crossed paths at work. He's the newest member of the sales team. Todd leaned over, his blonde ponytail falling over one shoulder, and shook Clive's hand. Todd Tanklevsky. I work in information systems. Tanklevsky? What kind of a name is that? It's Russian, Todd replied. Thanks for the drink. My pleasure, Clive responded. He raised his glass. To fame and fortune. What are we celebrating, the bartender asked, when the shot glasses were back on the bar. The start of my music career, Todd said. I'm with On The Rise, and we were just asked to cut a demo for Capitol Recording Studios. I'd say that's worth a round on the house. The bartender gave a furtive glance around and then added a clean glass to the three on the bar and filled them up. He raised his shot glass, and they followed suit, clinking them together before downing the amber liquid. What makes you think this guy is legit? Clive asked, handing the card back to Todd. Brent saw Todd's face darken. What makes you think he's not? Todd shot back. I'm just saying, what's your problem? Brent asked, turning to face Clive. Trust but verify, Clive said. Open your laptop. You'll feel ten times better than you do now once you know he's the real deal. It'll take two seconds. Do it, Todd said. Brent leaned forward and opened his laptop. A few keystrokes later, he was logged into the hotel's Wi-Fi. Todd held out the business card, angling it so he could read the letters in the dim light. After typing the first and last name into a search engine, Brent held his breath. A second later they were looking at a bio on the Capitol Recording Studio website. Executive producer Larry Conrad, Brent read aloud, responsible for signing such bands as White Tornado and First Street Heat. He paused and turned to Todd, eyes wide. "Holy shit. You're up, Brent," Clive said grinning. "Now we really have something to celebrate." Todd let out a raucous yell and they all traded high fives. The bartender walked back over with a bottle of Jack. Brent pumped his fist into the air and nodded at the bartender to pour another round of shots. Then Todd asked the bartender to set him up again, and Clive offered yet another round. Brent was feeling more than a little drunk, but Clive was right. Todd was his best friend, and Todd had certainly bought him more than a few rounded drinks the night they celebrated him winning the award from Revolution. "'One last round,' Brent said, speaking slowly and carefully. His tongue felt as if it had grown two sizes too big for his mouth. "'Here's to my best friend Todd,' he wrapped his left arm around him, "'to, to making it big in the music industry.' I always knew it was just a matter of time. He downed the drink and watched Todd do the same. I am so wasted. They slammed their empty shot glasses upside down on the bar. It's about time somebody finally discovered the band. Todd had a look of pure delight on his face. I know we can make it. I just know it. You, he gave Brent a playful punch in the arm, get awarded a permanent backstage pass for years of listening to us play in crappy venues all over New England. He paused. Speaking of backstage passes, Brent followed Todd's gaze. The door to the bar was partially open, and Todd's eyes were locked on a petite woman peering in. When her eyes found Todd, she smiled and motioned for him to join her. Brent slapped Todd on the back. Go. You don't mind after I dragged you all the way here? No. Go enjoy yourself. Okay, the band and a few friends are going to have a little celebration, Todd said. Thanks again for the drinks. See you guys after Christmas. A moment later, Todd had one arm wrapped around the girl's tiny waist, his sticks protruding from his back pocket. He raised his free hand as he departed. Shit, I forgot to ask him about Amanda. Brent slid off the bar stool and took a step, nearly stumbling before he caught himself by grabbing the back of Brent's stool. He steadied himself a moment and then pulled a credit card out of his wallet and tossed it on the bar, signaling the bartender, I'm going to hit the head, cash out, and go home. The walk to the bathroom made him realize just how intoxicated he was. He washed his face and blinked in the mirror, trying to focus. Where was Amanda? He leaned against the bathroom wall and called Todd to find out. All three calls went to voicemail. Next, he spent a laborious few minutes typing out a text message, but he got no response. Finally, he walked back to his stool in the bar. Cell phone still in hand, Brent sat back down. Shit. What, Clive asked, looking up from the laptop. Hey, what the hell are you doing on my computer? I just pulled up my roster on the Deadpool site. Brent's cell phone vibrated, and he read the message from Todd. Sorry, she decided not to come. Brent sighed. Shit, shit, shit. He closed his eyes, but when the room tilted, he opened them again. He was definitely too drunk to drive at this point. He checked the time on his phone, not really surprised to see that it was 2 a.m., way too late to call Amanda. He remembered her mentioning that her stomach was slightly upset after dinner, and he felt yet another twinge of guilt. Amanda wasn't big on red meat, but he'd bought the steaks trying to impress her father. Well, at least Todd had called Amanda, so she knew where he was. Tomorrow he'd share Todd's good news and apologize for being such a jerk on Christmas Eve. He'd make it up to her and treat her like a queen all day on Christmas. Is everything okay? Clive asked. Yeah. Brent had no intention of sharing any of his personal life with this loser. All right, help me put together this Deadpool list. I've got to get this roster in before the deadline, which is on December 31st. Brent rubbed his eyes. Maybe he ought to get a room and crash. But on second thought, spending money on himself was pretty selfish. He could doze in his car. He made a mental note to buy a bouquet of flowers on the way home. Earth to Brent? What? Are you going to help me with my Deadpool roster or not? I guess. He'd drink a couple of glasses of water and then catch some sleep in his car until he sobered up. Okay, throw a name at me, Clive said. How about the Pope? He's got to be dead soon, right? Yeah, the guy's ancient, so he's hardly worth anything, Clive said. Gotta get more creative than that. Who else? Let's see. How about that guy on Death Row? The one that murdered those sorority girls last summer. Brent picked at the label on his beer bottle, trying to remember. His brain was running in slow motion. You know the one. Philip Travia? Yeah, they're about to fry that bad boy. Good one. Clive used two fingers to hunt and peck for the letters to enter the name. How about Paul Newman, Brent suggested. He's already dead. He is? When did that happen? Clive shrugged. Brent kept tossing out names. You're pretty good at this. So if you did play, who would be on your list? Brent thought for a minute. How about the leader of some third-world country like Fidel Sharama? Isn't he the president of Yemen? A guy like that is always a heartbeat away from getting blown away by some random assassin. Clive nodded. Not bad. Who else? I don't know. The vice president? I have to disagree on that one. Have you seen the vice president lately? Clive asked. He's taken up jogging and his wife has him on some rabbit food diet she invented. He doesn't look that bad anymore. He's already had one heart attack, Brent countered. It's only a matter of time before... Okay, I put him down. Brent realized he had another fresh beer in his hand. How had that happened? The rest of the night continued in a blur. You have been listening to Deadly Intruder, written and performed by Ann Kelsey and produced by RenderEdge Media. This novel is available in print and ebook from Greygate Media and is available for purchase from Amazon.com. For more information about the author and links to purchase the book, visit DeadlyIntruder.com or DareToWrite.com.